everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. And I'm Peter Glassford. Uh, this week, we have been actually not in the same place, which has led to a variety of different activities. I've been back in New Jersey, and my dad has taken up mountain biking uh, on my old mountain bike, which is somewhat terrifying, and I went out with him and his friends this week. And holy crap, he shreds. I was totally blown away. It was awesome. Um, They definitely do a lot of uh, pre-ride donuts and post-ride beers, so I'm not really sure that it was the healthiest endeavor for him yet, but it was awesome to see him out and about. Well, and social stuff and uh, the riding is good. It's true. I felt like a little bit of like a a proud mom, like bringing her kid to kindergarten and like seeing how he's playing with the other kids. Mm. It's like, yay! Yeah, I think it's it's a good opportunity to get out there, and there's a lot of benefits to that. Yeah. Even just being able to go out with your dad and, and recreate and be moving and stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I did a book talk, actually, for his club, uh, for the women of his club, anyway. And afterwards, a bunch of the, the ladies were coming up to me and telling me that they've been out on rides with him, and he's been really helpful. And so that was super cool. And, yeah, the talk went well. I gave a couple talks, actually. And, and that was we've done, or you've done now... This season's probably been, that's probably four or five now. Yeah, something like that. Doing a lot of talks, whether that's some training stuff associated with some of Molly's uh, women's talks or saddle sore talks Mm -hmm. and or the new uh, Feel Your Ride talks. Yeah, did one of those in New York last week. That was awesome. And then, yeah, oh, and then I was in Western Mass with Jeremy Powers for his Grand Fundo. Uh, So that was super sweet. I'm looking forward to another season of us traveling with him and I got to hang out with Aspire Racing's new new racer Ellen Noble that's always fun now you participated in the Grand Fundo but did you do anything like did you play Ultimate Frisbee with Jeremy Powers or anything you like know this? I, I really wish I, I still remember being at Wyndham with that hearing Nino Scherter shooting hoops at the Three Rocks guys yeah, so that's sort of my like gold standard for what you should do with pro bike racers push up contests and stuff if I no think. it's really the only only the A and M in the jam fund that do push up contests with me and that's Alan McKenda um, they they crushed me at a push up contest to be honest but I beat them in a core strength one okay Okay, so this week we have, um, I guess I should talk about what I've been up to. Pretty much I've been riding bikes, but I did eight-hour race with the team here in uh, Canada. We were up at Hardwood Hills, and so we did a big team eight-hour race, which was just sort of fun, but it was sort of cool to do mountain biking with your teammates, but where we have more of a team atmosphere, and then lots of mix of abilities on the course, so it's good community. Um, also good practice for you uh, putting into practice some of the stuff from the saddle star book as far as avoiding yeah uh, definitely issues. it's at those races it's very hot up here where it is most places right now it's very humid oh. um, so just trying to keep from getting chafed just sitting around let alone also riding so changing chamois and getting dry in between was was important and I was passing some of Molly's books and lore of saddle sore. <laughs> A woman only guide to you. Read this on your lap off. (laughs) No, there's a couple young lads who were just having a rough go. They were doing tag team and so had elected not to ever change their chamois. Oh, jeez. And we were only like three hours in and I was like. Can you you guys sit down? It's a shame because his sister actually has the book, but uh, (laughs) Molly gave it to him for one of the camps we were at, or gave it to her at one of the camps we were at. So 
anyhow, so I did that, and then the Thursday before that, I was out doing uh, run intervals uh, up Cascades, which is a technical sort of ski hill climb here up in Collingwood. So did some 10-minute climbs, sort of motivated by our podcast guest today, actually, because mm-hmm. um, we were talking a lot about intervals for running. So today... Our uh, our topic is running with uh, Kyle Borsma. Kyle Borsma, who's part of the Guelph sort of Speed River Running Club, um, which is very successful, sending a bunch of Olympians uh, for Canada this year for running. Yeah, he just got back from the Olympic trials in Canada, and I think uh, seven of their club and university students are going to Rio, which is really cool. So he's a really interesting guy because he's got this, he's actually a very successful multiple champion uh, in Ontario and Canadian uh, university running competition, um, but now also working as the assistant coach in the Speed River Club. Um, So he's very accomplished as a coach, also as an athlete, and then also now he's taken on and is racing um, professional cycling uh, on the road. Um, so it's, he's an interesting guy to talk to from a couple of different standpoints. Yeah, and that's how you ran into him. Yeah, actually through one of my coaching clients who is racing on the same team out of Quebec as him. So yeah, so we get into a lot of really cool topics ranging from how you could get into running you know, as an adult, um, the different programs they have for that, how you'd sort of start in week one. Um, actually, how you get out of running as an adult. And then his transition into cycling, which a lot of runners who are maybe injured, you know, he battled with Achilles tendon stuff. So um, that transition into cycling or into another sport as a runner and what sort of gifts and, and then hurdles you have to overcome. And then one of the most controversial and interesting topics, I think, is that his uh, master's thesis was in beet juice in elite runners. Um, so a lot of the popular research we see is in regular people so to speak not elite trained people so um he actually did his master's thesis on whether the beach juice helped and you'll have to listen to the whole podcast to find out but now, it, peter it, do you do you drink beet juice i i like it i like it but uh definitely after this podcast i'm gonna have to rethink how i'm approaching it for myself but also i think for clients and how i'm recommending i think i'll actually be probably recommending it more after talking to kyle but i might be not using it quite as much yeah for sure so yeah, so I think lots of lots of things in there. I'd love if you guys could uh, give us a shout and let us know how you're liking the podcast, what you're not liking. Um, and certainly we want to do more podcasts like this where we get people, you know, really good coaches, you know, people who are pretty good at sports who can tell us, you know, how we get into X sport, whether it's golfing, frisbee, you know, hockey, whatever you're into. You know, give us a shout if you think you or one of your friends is, you know, a really good example of a consummate athlete or, or someone who can help people become one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's let's get to it. Enjoy the podcast and Kyle. All right, so welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Today we're here with Kyle Borsma, who has been doing a ton of coaching with the Guelph Speed River Track Club and also under uh, Dave Scott Thomas, who's well-known in the running world. Um, before that, Kyle was doing a ton of running with the very successful Guelph Varsity program, um, winning a bunch of big championships. Um, and then most recently, he's actually been racing at a very elite level in road cycling. So he's got a ton of experience from both an educational and coaching background, but also is a very accomplished athlete now in two sports. Um, so we thought he'd be a great person to talk to this week. Um, so I want to dive into it. Uh, Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Peter and Molly. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. Pretty excited to uh, be here this morning. Awesome, awesome. So 
why don't you give us just a bit of an idea about what type of runner you were um, thinking towards your sort of varsity career, if you can sort of sum that up for us, sort of what, what you were into for athletics and university. Yeah, uh, distance-wise, um, I would be uh, like a miler, right? So I would run anything from 800, uh, the 15 or the mile, uh, then 3K and 5K uh, would be my track distances. Um, in varsity sport uh, for for track and field, we also run cross country, which would be 10K. Uh, but I never raced 10K on the roads or on the track. And it's very cool in running. You can sort of look up. You know, I did a Google of you, and you know, it's you know, you see, you know, very easily find like what your best times were for the 1500, and you had them in the one article like progressed over you know each varsity year basically, and even high school, I believe. Um, so that's really cool compared to cycling, right? Like you can't really look up and be like, this is this guy's CP20 or this guy's whatever, right? It's it's tough. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's definitely a very interesting uh, element of track and field and athletics, you know, such a quantifiable sport where you can, you know, run a time and basically, you know, a track is a track is a track anywhere in the world. So you can compare with someone who's running a competition, you know, on the other side of the planet, right? So it is pretty cool. Um, I guess the closest thing in cycling would be like a power file, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know that doesn't really matter. All that matters in cycling is who crosses the line first. So you don't have that element in cycling for sure. Right, and then you get weight and you know power meter calibration. Whereas it just like it feels like running on a you know a fairly standardized track is just you know much more repeatable and like the time is the time. Whereas with power, there's so much variable, so it's frustrating sometimes because you know I could just say I have a 500 watt. Yep. CB20, right? And like, I am not racing in the tour this year. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. That that pureness of of competition, let's say, in athletics, uh, definitely would have been something that drew me that drew me into the sport for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. So, just to get an idea again, just of the caliber, like you were running essentially four minute miles. That's true. I mean, yeah, yeah. At my best. Um, yeah, because a mile's a you know a distance that that people are pretty familiar with, and uh, you know the four minute mile, pretty significant barrier. Um, at my best, my fifteen hundred meter time would have been about like a three fifty six. Uh, my fastest mile was a three fifty nine. Uh, just snuck under, and probably one of the few uh, outdoor miles that I actually ever ran, because they're they're not that common, right? Everyone runs the fifteen hundred. But, uh, yeah, I think at the time um, when I ran my 1,500-meter best, it was maybe 17th or 18th all-time uh, on the Canadian list. Uh, in the recent years, though, we've had a number of really, really strong uh, young guys come up. There's been you know, somewhat of a resurgence in, in uh, Canadian track and field, certainly on the endurance side in the last uh, – you know, four to eight years. So I've been bumped back outside of the top 20 now, but uh, it's pretty exciting to see, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of these young guys up and coming and, uh, and running really good, really good times. Oh, shoot. We lost Peter. That's why he suddenly uh, quiet. <laughs> uh, okay. There we go. I'm back. Sorry. Yeah, no, sorry. Uh, so did we get all of that Molly or did we cut out? 
Yeah, we were good. You're you're the one with the problem, Peter. <laughs> okay, sweet. Awesome. Um, okay, so so yeah, so very fast. So you're sure you got the the time for the mile, Molly? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. righty, So that's awesome. So then, why don't we move on to um, so that's you know awesome in varsity. Then why don't you tell us a bit about what you studied? Because I found that interesting as well, and I think a lot of our listeners will enjoy, especially your masters um, stuff. So maybe just give us a brief, you know, what you did as far as education while you were running around at the university. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, my time, my studies as well at the University of Guelph. Uh, I got to uh, do my undergrad in human kinetics, HK, uh, and then I did a master's in exercise science and uh, nutrition and metabolism. Uh, so it was it was quite an enjoyable experience because basically I would go to class during the day, learn about the biochemistry, the metabolism, the physiology that made elite athletes. And then I would go to practice in the evening and, and, you know, put that into practice, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it really, you know, blended very, very well. And, and it's, you know, obvious why, you know, studying that piqued my interest being an elite athlete myself. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a really enjoyable experience. Specifically, I did my master's research in uh, nutrition and, and uh, the use of beetroot juice as an ergogenic aid for 1500 meter running performance in elite athletes. So, <laughs> um, in terms of research, you know, what better thing to, to look into that I could directly apply to my own life. Um, so you can see where I got the inspiration to, to look into that. Um, so that was a, that was a two year project. Uh, we had, uh, subjects, in the uh, research that were, you know, I just drew on the the population that we had right there in Guelph, right? Uh, yeah. The varsity guys, the elite uh, club runners. Um, so, you know, the study that we published out of that lab on the beetroot juice, um, you know, we had Olympians as uh, subjects in the study, right? And uh, we published with a, you know, an average for the, the 10 subjects that we had. Uh, a VO2 max of 80 ml per kg per min, right? Which is just completely off the charts. Like you hardly ever. Uh, no. When I actually see, saw, it, I, I read your, I read your study last night. And I was like, holy crap! Like, yeah. Where did you, where did you find all these people? Like that yeah. is really high. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that, and that's the average, right? So you know, we've got Olympians in there coming close to 90. Uh, so. You know that was that was uh, really cool to be a part of, and uh, I was lucky to have an advisor, uh, Lawrence Spreet, who um, you know anyone who watches the uh, the World Junior Hockey Games when they do the Gatorade commercials, he's the guy with the mustache on there talking about uh, the science of hydration because he really pioneered a lot of that stuff. But uh, when I came in, you know, he really gave me free reign to to look into uh, you know anything that I wanted to uh, and. Beetroot juice was an emerging topic at the time, and you know it hadn't been studied in 1500 meter elite runners. So you know what better way to kind of uh, blend two passions for myself? Mm -hmm. um, so the study is very readable and well done. Um, you know, studies are generally long and hard to read, but yours was actually <laughs> quite quite readable. So very good. It's job. really practical, right? So yeah. 
Yeah, I guess that's it too. Like you can understand it maybe more than like mitochondrial signaling in rats or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's 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 very applied, you know. Uh, um, we so we will we link didn't. we'll link to your the, your uh, study uh, in the show notes if anyone wants to read it. But essentially, you found that there wasn't a lot of benefit for these athletes, stressing that they're these elite athletes using beetroot juice. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So. Um, when beetroot juice, and, and generally with, you know, exercise physiology research, um, if you want to test, uh, you know, a training methodology or an intervention or a supplement, you start with recreationally active people. And if that fails, it kind of ends there. And if it works, you kind of move up to the next level or caliber, uh, of athletes, so to speak. Um, so there had been you know, research already done, uh, and ours was the next kind of logical progression of that to move up to, to you know, the, the most elite level of athlete. Uh, what we were seeing before we even started the research was that as you increase the caliber and, uh, you know, the amount of training that the subjects had done, uh, the effect was somewhat uh, diminished. Um, and really what you were seeing was that within a group, um, there would be less responders, so to speak. So with, you know, recreationally active, just otherwise healthy people, you might see eight out of 10 with improved performance following beetroot juice. And then when you go to moderately trained, you might go down to five of 10. And what we saw was that only two out of the 10 we tested uh, ended up having a, a performance improvement. And they were actually the two with the lowest VO2 max. Um, so, so our research was really in line with, with what was emerging at the time. Do, do you suspect that those two responders, I know this is probably stepping certainly beyond what you studied, but do, I wonder because it's people with the lowest VO2 max, if it would correspond with maybe a lower cardiac output or some sort of blood flow limitation in terms of where they were limited in their performance. Yeah, that's likely. Um, so they were they had the lowest VO2 max. They also had the lowest uh, training experience, number of years training, and amount of training per week. So they were essentially the, the most untrained of our group, right? Um, and one of the biggest adaptations to endurance training is uh, capillarization of your skeletal muscle. So with endurance training you just uh, adapt to better supply uh, your working muscle with oxygen and, and perfuse it with blood. So likely what we're seeing is that those individuals who haven't accumulated those adaptations through years of training are getting a benefit from uh, the beetroot juice, whereas the others who have already uh, accumulated that adaptation, you know, they can't take it further with the beetroot juice is likely, likely what we're seeing. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So do you find, so do you use beetroot juice? Um, before I did the study, I was using it. Uh, that would have been back in like 2010, 2011, 2012, uh, when the research was first coming out that it was working, we jumped on it in our group and started using it. Um, and I never drank the juice because, 
you had to drink like a ton of juice. Like you probably wanted to take in like a liter of juice yeah. to get the amount of nitrates that, that you wanted for the performance benefit, you know, before your event. And, and that's just, you know, one, uh, a large volume to be drinking, uh, of a of a basically dirt flavored water, <laughs> uh, and yeah, the taste is the other thing. So uh, when when I started getting into it, we could get these these shots, and the same thing that we used in our in our study, they were just uh, little concentrated uh, shots, basically of of beetroot juice. So they were stronger, but uh, you know it was only like seventy mils, so you could you could take it down in in one gulp. Um, and so yeah, I started taking those. Um, yeah, for a couple of years there. And then, you know, at first I didn't really like the taste, but it's uh, definitely an acquired taste. And after a while you start to, you start to crave it because you know, you take the beetroot juice when you've got a big workout or a race coming up. So then when you know you're, you know, gearing up for your training session in the afternoon, you're like, okay, give me some of that beetroot juice. <laughs> but then uh, after, after we did our research and some other groups were finding like uh, some other, uh, labs were finding similar results uh you know it just didn't make sense from a cost perspective to keep buying the beetroot juice if it wasn't really gonna gonna do what we were after so kind of cut that out yeah you almost wish you could make like a placebo and just give it to yourself or something or own the rights to the placebo maybe yeah totally yeah that yeah i have no doubt that uh you know when supplements or something comes out in the literature and you know, even if it doesn't work for elite athletes, what you find out, what you'll find out, like a few years down the road, um, that first window where, you know, if you think it's gonna work, then yeah, it's it's gonna work for sure. That's 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 for sure. So now, so that's for elites. Now, the question that I know all my masters athletes now are gonna be asking is, okay, but what about for the normal people? I'm more of a normal person, so should I, you know, take this huge amount of beetroot juice before my race, or look into these shots that Kyle's talking about? Yeah, um, I would for sure recommend. Um, unless you're like a, a really elite trained athlete, um, it's it's well documented that it will give you uh, a performance improvement. Um, so I would certainly, if you can get uh, get the shots, that's definitely the easiest, uh, most palatable way to to get the the nitrates um so if if you're looking into that yeah i would definitely go for the shots and uh, so, take two or three of them before uh before your race so in terms of i guess continuing with the idea of recommendation so like at a loblaws or something or health research you can get that i don't know the brand name but it's the same beeper juice everywhere in canada at least um there's the you know beetroot juice in a thing i think it's like a 240 milliliter glass bottle yeah um, so is that worth doing or do you think the risk due to the volume and the amount of sugar and everything is, is not necessarily following what the study is saying and more likely want to look at the shots? Um, the shots is like, let's say the gold standard. Um, if you were to get the, the beetroot juice, like, like the glass bottle, um, mm -hmm. it's going to give you some benefit. You're not going to be getting as uh, much nitrates, which is the active ingredient, so to speak. Um, so that's why the shots are preferred. You can get more nitrates for a, a lower uh, volume consumed uh, because they are concentrated. Um, but it, it, it will still work with lower doses. 
Um, so it's definitely not gonna gonna hurt to give it a try. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've had, you know, GI problems with drinking that kind of volume of you know sports drink or something else in the past, then I would be more cautious. But you know, 250 milliliters probably isn't crazy. I wouldn't want to see people going up to like liters of it. Right. Um, that's probably going to be a recipe for disaster. Uh, <laughs> at that level, the amount of nitrates are probably going to be offset by the volume of fluid you consumed, and it's it's not going to work. But yeah, if you wanted to try like uh, one of those bottles, I, I think that uh, you know it wouldn't hurt for sure. It could it could give you a little little boost. Sweet. Um... I think that's some good practical information. Super. Um, moving on to your sort of coaching philosophy. Like what can you give us, you know, if you had to describe sort of your general, what you found works, um, maybe in generalities. I mean, I guess we could go into specific to running or specific to cycling, but is there anything that you sort of find, you know, would you describe yourself as a volume person or, you know, yep. I don't know does that spark any sort of thought? Yeah, for sure. Um, so... Uh, I coach, a, like I coach uh, endurance, uh, middle distance, and distance runners. Uh, so within that, you've got a range from basically 800 to uh, marathon. Uh, and within that, you know, you're going to have some specifics to each of those disciplines, right? But overall, the biggest bang for your buck so to speak um for training is going to be from uh doing work at aerobic power or what you would call tempo or threshold or or any of those kind of names right um that's where you're going to get your biggest returns in training so in terms of a philosophy for me um it's running an adequate amount of volume uh to to kind of you know, lay a foundation, so to speak, uh, and maintain some adaptations, uh, and, and giving yourself uh, a base to, to do an adequate volume of threshold running. And that's really, you know, the bread and butter, uh, of our coaching philosophy in our program. Is there like a workout that you would say would be like your stereotypical, threshold or aerobic power like that describes that like what would be like the stereotypical running workout I guess for that yeah so a typical like aerobic power or threshold or tempo is going to be you know stuff like two times 10 minutes um, a 25 minute interval uh, you know five minuteers it's kind of anything in in that range where uh, you can go as short as you know one or two minutes to work to work uh, threshold or aerobic power, but you're going to have a really short rest, right? right? So anything that you're working, you know, intervals uh, two minutes and up, let's say, where the rest is at least uh, less than half of what you're doing for the interval, mm-hmm. um, then you're going to be working that kind of aerobic. A power domain and uh and yeah we just and so then the art of coaching is you know picking the right interval lengths blending it with 
the training that week and uh and yeah so so those type of workouts um are really like staples of our uh, of our training program but they would they would be staples of of a lot of uh a lot of groups right anyone who's doing endurance that that's nothing special um to what to what we're doing here at guelph um for you know anyone doing aerobic uh or endurance training you know that's that's gotta be uh you know a really predominant part of, of the training you're doing right so how do you um how do you limit people's endurance or how do you define that like when they're you know we have those intervals they're on the track they're doing whatever you know repeats or they're doing the two by tens or something like that on the other days how do you you know define or limit the the endurance the other stuff um so do you mean like what other types of workouts will they do when they're not doing aerobic power or right um i guess what i'm saying is if, how do you keep people from doing, you know, too hard of workouts on the other days of the week? So when the one days they're going to do interval days, presumably they're going to have like an easier endurance day the next day. So what, what do you tell someone when they're going up for an endurance run? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you. Um, so a lot of, uh, a lot of what we work off is going to be perceived effort rather than like a pace or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's probably more, more of a learned skill and takes, takes time to, to really feel it out, um, as an athlete. Um, but basically if you're out for your easy volume or your endurance training, um, I recommend that athletes run at a pace where, um, you know, you might not be able to have exactly an easy conversation, but you can still chit chat with someone you're running with, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're um, if you're running, you'll know you're running too hard when you can't really, you know, get a sentence out. If if you're running with a with a partner uh, or a training mate or whatever. Um, and you know, they're, they're chit chatting with you and you get to the point where your answers are like one word answers and you know, you, you can't really keep up a conversation. Uh, then you know, you're going too hard. And basically, uh, the only, the only way we came up with defining that was because your breathing rate is too high. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of gives you an idea of, of, uh, you know, how easy you should be going on, on your endurance runs. Okay. I think that's a great recommendation for sure. And, you know, I would think generally people would see that correspond with some sort of heart rate or power or something. But like you yep. say, learning, learning that feeling is important because it, you know, it helps you in your recovery runs. It helps you when you don't have devices, you know, it's, it's certainly yeah. nice to just be able to put on a set of shoes and go for a run yeah. and not just strap everything on. Right. And oh, I think that, sure. that, there's a lot of athletes, I think even more so in cycling, that are missing that sort of body feel. Yep. Um, yeah, I would agree. Uh, with cycling, there's so much data that you can pull uh, because you you can go with a with a big computer and you know you can hook up to all these devices. Um, yeah, when I was uh, when I was running, you know, I would take a stopwatch sometimes. You know, 
usually just to time my intervals. I never had a GPS and, uh, you know, it would all just be, be on feel. Um, uh, that would be it. And then when I got into cycling, um, it's really cool that you can quantify so many of these things and, you know, track your training progress and all that. Uh, but really, if you want to know if you're getting the most out of yourself, uh, you need to know what that feels like. You know, the numbers, so to speak, can't really tell you if you're getting the most out of yourself, right? Because, you know, it, go, it goes both ways. Either you could be really fatigued and you're not going to hit the same numbers that you could when you're fresh. So really, it's just how you feel is going to let you know if you got the most out of yourself that day. Or if you're super fit and you really could do better, you can't limit yourself by just targeting like a, a certain number, right? Mm-hmm. And so so I, I think that's a super, super important part uh, for a cyclist, runner, anyone to really know, you know, what does it feel like to get the most out of myself in the moment? Yeah. And that's two things then. So is there, do you have any tips for either coaches who are trying to help athletes figure that out? Like how do you introduce someone to that? And I'll save my other question and let you answer that one. But I have another yep. one. Yeah. So this is like, um, you know, in track, um, a lot of athletes really get obsessed with, with your split times. Right. And they want to look at their split times and, you know, know that they're on pace for some, goal time that they've you know you essentially just make it up right um so so i really encourage my athletes to think okay if you want to like you really only you can only control your effort and and whatever the time's going to be that's what it's going to be but you're only in control over how much energy you expend so how do you know if you've got the most out of your out of yourself that day it has to go you have to take it a step beyond just saying well I, I tried really hard right like like what does it mean and and how do you know that you you really got the most out of yourself um and so one common thing that that I always found when I was running uh was no matter what the distance was uh halfway through the race I would be saying to myself in my head like oh shit I've gone out too hard this is too fast. There's no way I can finish this. Like, this is probably it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so that became not a negative thing, but a positive thing. Because if that happened, then I knew I was on track to deliver in the moment. You know, whatever the time was going to be, sure, whatever. But I knew that if at halfway I felt like I I had to give up because it was too hard, then I knew I was on track to get to run the best I could that day. Uh, and so I kind of use that in, in uh, helping you know athletes in their development and figuring out, okay, what does it mean at each point in the race? Like what do I, what do I feel that's going to tell me, okay, yeah, I'm on, I'm on track here for, for a maximal effort. And so that was a big one for me. Halfway through, if I felt like I needed to give up, then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm on track. This is good. <laughs> I like that. I have a similar thing with on the first lap in a mountain bike race. Like I need to feel like there's no way I will ever finish the like five or six lap mountain bike race. Yep. Yep. Um, exactly. And like I have gone so like you're just so deep and so overwhelmed and then you just keep going. 
Yeah. Um, and that works for me. And I think for you as like very, uh, I guess, developed endurance athletes, my question would be with your master's athletes when they don't have that, you know, endurance base or those years of endurance training or years of experience, do you find like, I've seen like, you know, people just completely wreck themselves and fall over. Um, yep. Yep. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend everyone. You don't start at like halfway is when you feel like it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically got to the halfway mark through trial and error over years. Right. So mm-hmm. when I started, I would have started with later in the race, you know, let's right. say, you've, let's say you've got a four lap race, right? Um, when I was a younger athlete developing, um, I would have got to one lap to go and said, oh, okay, like, holy crap. Like, this is, this is really, really tough. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I've only got one lap to go. Right. And then, I realized, okay, maybe I can get more out of myself if I feel like that earlier. And you know what? I might still be able to finish because I felt like that with one lap to go, but I still finished it off. So Mm -hmm. maybe I can bump it back to earlier in the race. I might still be able to finish and I'll run faster. And so I gave that a try and it worked out i was like oh, okay cool like i'm on to something here i can actually start hurting earlier in the race and still finish it out that's um, awesome yeah that's so, a great answer and so that's kind of like the natural progression right um you you test your limits by seeing how much you can endure that's why it's endurance running you see how long you can run where you feel like you're not going to be able to make it home and right. uh and so I got to the point where I could do a four-lap race. I could do two laps. I still make it home, still run a lot faster. Um, so, okay, let's, let's take it another step further. Let's try it with three laps to go. And you know what? I found that that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so if I, felt, if I felt that way with three laps to go, then I knew I really was in trouble and I had gone out too hard. And, you know, I, I could never – start hurting like that that early in the race and make it home faster than than I would if I started hurting at two laps to go. So like I said, through trial and error, I learned that, okay, three laps, that's too early. I got to make it at the halfway point and, and that's what I stuck with. I love that. Great answer. And I think the other important piece is that you would have done, you know, experimenting, whether that was subconsciously or on purpose in your, you know, eight by 400 meter repeats on the track in preparation for all these events, right? Like you would have yep. been, you would have been negative splitting or, you know, doing your last couple harder yep. um, and you're honing that feeling, right? Exactly. Exactly. So if you break up the race or the workout, the exact same way you break up the race uh, in training halfway through the workout, if it's a specific, you know, risk take, go for it track session, then yeah, halfway through a session like that on the track, I would be thinking like, "Oh crap, I've gone too hard." You know, this is this is bad news, but that really meant that, you know, I was on track for having a good workout. And yeah, I would I would try that. I would try with, you know, starting that a little bit earlier, maybe one or two intervals before halfway or or whatever, right? Um that said, if it's if it's like a some of those sessions we were talking about earlier, some of the aerobic power stuff, that's not necessarily the time where you want to 
risk take like that and, and do that right that session is more to maybe it could be the purpose of it to to maintain some adaptations so you don't need to go that deep right and you don't need to feel like halfway through you've gone too hard that might not be the right session to do that right you know what i mean for sure and i think that's another great point that sort of comes off in another direction um that a lot of athletes, especially masters athletes, feel like they need to be on that limit. You know, I read about one of your workouts before your, I think one of your best 1500s, and you're saying like, you know, you got some really good times and it was a hard workout, but you knew you would be able to do it. But you were like really towing the line there. Mm-hmm. But that was like a peaking workout just before you went for like these big, the big event. Um, but to what you're saying, a lot of the work is this aerobic work. A lot of the work is you know, just riding that threshold, but not maximal. Would you agree with that? Exactly. Yeah. To me, every training session has a purpose and uh, the purpose is not always harder is better. Uh, And I think that's sometimes a hard concept to wrap your brain around for endurance athletes because, you know, they might've got where they are because they can just hammer a lot of the time. Right. And, and so sometimes, you know, that's worked for them and they want to keep doing it. Um, but, uh, if you want to get the most out of your training program, you've got to do the workouts with the purpose and and understand what that purpose is so you can get the most out of it. Right. If the purpose of the workout is to go hard, go deep and, and really see where you can take it, then you got to be prepared for that. Um, if the purpose of the workout is, not to do that or if it's a recovery session or whatever then you've got to have um the sensibility uh to even just you know especially when you're working in a group to check your ego if someone if someone is not doing what the what the purpose of the workout is right and you got to be able to to do what's right in that situation yeah it's definitely this case you know i was doing a test here with a cyclist uh up in collingwood yesterday and he's you know a pretty new cyclist i would say still novice but you know his numbers are decent but he's gotten there basically by riding you know four days a week and basically riding you know as hard as he can for an hour to two hours and he started he's starting to feel a plateau he's getting some heart rate depression um but he's you know, only riding enough during the week that it's not, you know, getting super chronic or reaching or anything, but like definitely seeing signs of that. Yep. Um, and it's just like, well, it needs to get a little bit more complicated now. You know, you've had that period of linear gains. You're going to have to, you know, do some actual, you know, recovery, some actual endurance, some actual like threshold or aerobic power, you say training. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Very common. So let's move shift gears. I mean, there's a ton of value there from beats to RPE. I think that's all really good. Um, if you had, a, do you guys deal with any learn to run? Like I'm, you know, say someone who's pretty new uh, to running. Do you deal with much of that? Um, not uh, specifically in our group um, or our club. Uh, we have a we have a, a run kind of clinic run out of a local run shop um, in our uh, in our town. Uh, so most of the athletes that that we're uh, dealing with in our club, uh, have, have some experience. They've raced, uh, you know, they've been training. Um, so, so we're not, uh, at the level, I'm not working with athletes that, that do the, the learn to run kind of thing. Okay. For, now, for, let, for let, let me, let me change the question then. I feel like I asked it poorly. So let's say, you know, this idea of the podcast here is with athletes trying to like broaden the amount, you know, similar to what you did even with, you know, you have your running and then now you're cycling. 
Um, so if you had someone who's a fairly experienced cyclist or they've been doing some rock climbing or, you know, they're just generally active and yep. they want, wanted to start into running, maybe join the master's run club, you know, again, generally active, no major injuries. Um, yep. how would you on ramp them into that running program knowing that they're, you know, you're going to have those typical soreness and everything else, you know, what would that look like? Yeah. Um, so if, if they've got a background in training, um, it's going to be really easy to, to integrate. You just, you just need to learn, um, some of the subtleties that, that come with the sport. Right. Um, and there's really, I don't think any magic formula as much as I'm, you know, a science guy an analytical guy. Uh, I like the numbers. Uh, I like the data and the research. Uh, I, I think a lot of it, you know, has to come from just trial and error, right? So you just get out there, you try it, and, you know, usually by messing it up, you learn where your limits are or what it feels like or um, how to do it properly, right? So it's one thing for me to, you know, give some of the tips that I've that I've suggested, you know, about, like, uh easy run pace, you got to be able to hold a conversation, uh, or racing, you know, halfway through, you feel like you want to give up, but until you can go out and experience it and internalize that message for yourself, um, you know, it's not really going to stick. So I just say, get out there and, and try it. And, and, you know, you're going to figure it out on your feet. Um, I find with my cyclists that we tend to go at it, you know, we treat it like I'm a cyclist. I'm used to, you know, I can ride for three hours, so I'm going to go for a 90 minute run today. Yeah. Um, what would you recommend for someone, you know, fairly new to running just in that first couple of weeks? Like, is there a volume or a, you know, a style of workout or something that you might use? Yeah. So in the first couple of weeks, um, it's going to be about just getting out and getting time on your feet, right? You're going to get, uh, you know, fit quickly just by running and not in a super uh, kind of structured way. Um, that said, like like you mentioned, if you're coming from another sport that's, you know, I say running as an impact sport because you're impacting the ground thousands of times. If you're coming from a sport like cycling where you don't have that impact, um, you've got to be mindful of that. You've got to be conscious of of what kind of damage that's going to do to your body. Um, so in that sense, uh, you've, you've got to work into it, right? Like I wouldn't go straight into a 90 run. Um, I'd be looking at more like a 20 minute kind of run, 30 minute kind of run, do that a couple times a week, see how your body's feeling and go from there. Uh, you can always do, you know, a bit of a run and then, you know, get on the bike for some supplemental training if you still have a mind to do more, you know, volume or, you know, you want to be active for longer. You can always add in some other pieces, you know, cycling, paddling, rowing, whatever, right? Um, so uh, I, would, I would just be respectful of the kind of impact that it's going to have on your body. Uh, running is, you know, a lot about patience. Uh, because if you try and go too much too soon, uh, and you don't respect that Im- those impact forces, uh, you're going to get injuries, right? 
uh, there'll be a weakness in the chain somewhere and, uh, and, and that's going to cause some problems for you. So I think more so with running than maybe some other sports I've tried, uh, maybe golf aside, <laughs> you got, you've got to be really patient with it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in too much too soon. Are you suggesting that you were like Happy Gilmore when you played golf, or <laughs> were you throwing clubs and being aggressive, or what was that? Well, you know, I uh, I played golf when I was younger, but to me, golf is not the kind of sport where the harder you try, the more you get out of it. Uh, so I found that very very frustrating. And uh, running, quite the opposite. You know, usually the harder you try, the more you get out of it. So I liked that. <laughs> right. Uh, so golf didn't last long for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. We're we're looking for a golf pro to talk to, um, who who works with people and is really good at the skill side of things. So, you don't happen to know anyone who's a good golf pro, do you? Um, I don't. I don't uh, know anyone in particular, but I think that's a great idea, especially if you want to uh, talk about like the mental side of things. Uh, yeah. I think it would be hugely uh, beneficial to talk to you know a golf pro because uh, the mental side of that game is is you know if you don't have that you got you don't have anything so and that's that's a cool thing right is like i i've always loved and the more and more i work on bike skills with people you know the more i see like okay i find out you're a runner i find out you've played hockey or something you know there's all these transferable skills and movement patterns and just like even cues yep. um so you can customize it and i don't know if you find that with running even but something where someone's done something and you know for some reason it helps them run taller or whatever the cue is right um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's there's physical stuff like that. Uh, there's also you know mental, psychological things that come from different sport backgrounds. You know, like team sport guys are going to get certain elements of of your your varsity team culture differently than people who have only ever been you know on on individual kind of sports. Uh, yeah, so I think uh, you know you're going to have a lot of different athletes with diverse backgrounds and. That's part of what uh, being a good coach is, you know, finding mm -hmm. out how to how to connect with some of those things. So I guess just to finish off this learn to run, a lot of your life, a lot of your sport development has been in this running club sort of, you know, varsity club sort of environment. Would you recommend someone new to running find, uh, you know, something like your Guelph Masters program or the Guelph Kids program if you're a kid, something like this? Yeah, yeah, I think for sure. Um, I think, you know, there are uh, some nice elements to just going out uh, for a run by yourself and kind of clearing your head and being out in nature. But uh, for the most part, I think you know the group element, the social aspect of of a you know a running group or club or or whatever is just it's it's way better. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's going to be so much more fun, so much more motivating um, to join up with other. You know, people who are who are sharing the same passion as you. Awesome. I think that's missed a lot. You know, everyone wants to go out and just like secretly train at the gym. You know, after New Year's or whatever, they start going for runs after New Year, and you know, it's yeah. just. I think you would agree with me. Like the reason I keep racing and keep riding is the the people on the social side of it. You know, those yep. fun. You know, those crazy runs and you get rained on the whole time, or you know, it's super cold out and you know you froze the whole time, but you like you say you were conversational the whole time and it was a great you know endurance run or whatever, right? And those are that's why you do it, right? Yeah, yeah, and the and the shared suffering and and all that good <laughs> stuff. Yeah, like reading some of your university, um, like you were so 
like stoked and so worried about just the varsity team winning the like overall team competition in this cross country race. And I was just like almost jealous, right? Cause it's, you don't yeah. get that even with teams and cycling. Like, I mean, at least in mountain biking, um, you know, it's not quite that same varsity, like everyone yeah. has the goofy costumes and paint and everything else. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a definitely a special time, uh, in an athlete's career, the varsity program for sure. All right, well, let's uh, move and we'll finish with this one. And I don't know how big it'll be, but we'll try and get through it. So you, as a, as we say, you ended up with some Achilles tendon issues from as your running career continued or as you got older, maybe. Yep. Um, life got more complicated. Yeah. Um, so you were doing some cycling for cross training to sort of stay fit and stuff, and you sort of fell in love with that. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about that, like what you liked about cycling and then maybe you can roll that into um, sort of those first couple ride experiences and like what you found difficult coming from running. Yeah. Um, so what I liked about cycling uh, was that I could do it basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, running became very, very frustrating because uh, for me, I couldn't put in the training I needed that I felt I needed to get to the next level uh, because I kept getting injured. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I realized that I wasn't going to get there because without being able to put in the training, I, I couldn't expect the results. And uh, with the continual injury situation, uh, you know, that just it just wasn't happening. Uh, so what I liked about cycling was, you know, I could put in the work and there didn't seem to be a limit to – how hard I could train. Uh, I could go out there and ride until I basically couldn't ride anymore. And, you know, I wouldn't have to stop because of some injury or something like that. You know, it was totally limited by how hard I wanted to go. Um, And that was super, super appealing to me. Um, So that's really where my passion for cycling started. And then in my uh, second race, uh, I think I broke my collarbone. So then I quickly realized that, oh, yeah, there are injuries uh, in cycling as well. Um, but to be honest, you know, it didn't, really, it didn't really feel much worse than, you know, missing time from an Achilles injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, that didn't really, didn't really set me back. Uh, at all and then uh, the more I've gotten into the sport the more intriguing it becomes uh, running is you know great for its pureness and you know uh, really how physically gifted or prepared you are uh, will set your limits for performance right but cycling is more of a game uh, and, and that's what I've, what I've been trying to, to learn, uh, this, this year, uh, in particular, uh, because it doesn't really matter how strong you are if you, if you can't play the game right. Uh, and so that's just here to the sport that, uh, when you get into it, you really, uh, come to appreciate. And, and I think that that's, uh, that's kind of taken it to the next level for me, uh, in terms of of my passion for cycling and, and racing uh, because that game, so to speak, uh, can be, can be so chaotic. And, and uh, I find that really, really cool. 
Yeah, it's definitely a crazy sport. Um, For sure. You know, you were introduced to us through one of the athletes I work with, Robert, um, who races this past year, raced on the same team as you. um, And we'll link to the team and to Robert and everything else to give him a shout out. But um, yeah, it's definitely crazy because you can get so fit, you know, do everything you were talking about, have your beet juice, have whatever. Um, you know, be confident and then go there and get dropped because, you know, there's a bigger team there or you don't get behind the right wheel or you get, yep. you get a flat, you know, it's all this stuff that, as you say, in running, there aren't nearly as many variables. Totally. Um, but like you say, there's so much, I was just saying this to someone yesterday, there's, you know, you'll see those older guys who have learned the pack skills and somehow they're always in the break. You know, they always, you know, right in the pack, they never get dropped. But, you know, yep. if, you, if you looked at their power, you know, it's dropping every year, but somehow they're further and further up or at least maintaining every year. Yep, totally. Yeah, and that's that's the beauty of the sport. So that's what uh, that's what makes it so intriguing. Awesome. And I think that really lends to, you know, it's, it's something new. If you're someone who's been doing a certain sport, you know, you've been able to sort of pivot a little bit and use all the fitness you've built. Yep. But but now you have some new challenges that are you know going to excite you for the next you know however many years where you're learning and stuff you know and 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 you know in some ways you're not a beginner by any stretch but you're you know you're learning a lot right yeah uh, for sure um, seeing progress even right yeah definitely definitely um, the biggest thing is you know where I got experience in running and learned you know like we were talking about what it feels like to get the most out of uh, my body in a race when I was running, you know, that halfway mark, um, I got to learn, you know, the same kind of thing for cycling, you know, how does, how do you get the most out of a race? And it's less to do with that kind of like, uh, internal physical, uh, demands and more to do with, you know, like you alluded to knowing how to position yourself in the pack, what wheels to follow, when the moves are going to happen, how do you read a course and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, uh, still have to learn the subtleties of the sport, different sport uh, and different challenges for sure. Is there anything over the last couple of years that you've learned that has been like a big help in um, the group or, you know, getting into breaks or anything like that? Does anything come to mind that just like you sort of figured out and you can verbalize? I know a lot of it is nonverbal stuff. but <laughs> uh, Yeah, still still working on that. That's that's still my biggest challenge uh, mm-hmm. is trying to figure out uh, how to know when events are going to happen in the course of a race. Um, and I think uh, that's really what it takes to, to get to to the next level. And uh, to develop those skills, I really think that experience is important. So racing as much as you can, riding your bike as much as you can, uh, just getting comfortable with handling and moving in the pack and, and all that kind of stuff, you really you can't uh, – like that's invaluable uh, for improving your, your race performances. Yeah, I think finding the groups to ride with is, you know, even if that's just three guys or three people together, um, mm-hmm. you know, just to practice, you know, you and me riding beside each other for four hours, you know, touching handlebars sometimes and just getting used to yep. close, close riding even, right? Like I see that 
with a lot of people where, you know, they're following a wheel and they, have, they can't get close enough even when there's two of us. So how, how are you ever going to get close enough when we're going 60 kilometers an hour with 60 people, right? Yep, totally. Yeah, totally. Um, right. So, but like you said, starting slowly with, you know, just your friend and practicing following close enough, right? Yep, definitely. Perfect. Well, that's about an hour. Um, did you have anything else, Molly, that sort of came to mind as you were listening? No, that was all awesome. And now I want to go for a run. (laughs) Sweet. All right. Well, we interrupted Kyle in the middle of the Tour de France and he he got a bit of a time today to sit and watch it. So Kyle, thank you very much for coming in. Um, We'll post all your stuff. Do you want to just give us a shout out for your Twitter account um, or website, anything that people can look you up on? Sure. Um, If you want to look up uh, anything that I'm involved with, uh, you can check out Speed River Track and Field Club, um, also part of, uh, and, and we've got Twitter, Instagram, all of that, uh, also part of uh, a new cycling group uh, in town in Guelph, uh, it's called Crimp Cycling Club, uh, you can check them out on Twitter and crimpcycling.com, uh, my own personal uh, Twitter, Facebook, you can uh, look me up at Bling Borsma on Twitter. Nice. Awesome. All right. We'll have to try and hook up for a ride here. I'll get Robert to connect us, maybe, and the three of us maybe can go for a rip down in Bure. Yeah, that would be awesome. Cool, dude. Good luck with everything and the Olympics and everything else that's coming down the pipe. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Thank you. Talk soon. Okay, cheers. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Hopefully you just learned a bunch from Kyle. I know it inspired me to go out on aggressively long runs for the week uh, just because the idea of talking about running usually gets me really psyched on going running Uh, but hopefully yeah this has given you an idea of how to get into the sport or if you've been an injured runner for a long time how to get into cycling and we would love to hear your thoughts on beetroot juice of course Uh, so you can tweet at us at peter glassford or at molly j herford or leave a comment on our show notes page over at consummateathlete.com And again, if you guys know of any experts or there's any sports that you're dying to learn about, please let us know. Uh, We're always looking for new podcast guests and for new sports to explore. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.